Before we get started, there's something I'm really excited to share with you. It's no secret that we think diversifying your income is incredibly important. One way that we do it is by investing in rental properties. We've done a ton of research, interviewed experts, and invested over $100,000 of our own money in income-producing rental properties. I am proud to announce that we're launching Rental Properties for Passive Investors. It's a course on exactly how you can passively invest in rental properties. Like our podcast, it's incredibly actionable and details exactly how we've both purchased and managed our rental properties. It also includes a year of investable, the analysis tool we use to make sure the rental properties we purchase are actually profitable. Finding the deal is half the battle. You need to know your numbers to make a profitable investment. We're running a pre-sale for $100 off. Head over to listenmoneymatters.com slash REI to learn more. That's listenmoneymatters.com slash REI for $100 off rental properties for passive investors. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. Losers have goals. Winners have systems. My name is Matt, and I'm here, as always, with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking? Hey, man. Hey. You are a... <laughs> Hi, Hi. How are you? Hey. <laughs> you're, I just, you're like a systems like man. Like That's your thing. Yeah. Um, I I'm a winner. I submitted it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my mom says. Yeah. Um, I am drinking a Saigon scooter selfie. It's a Vietnamese-style coffee stout Whoa. with brown sugar and cream extract added. Oh, my and it, God. You're making a face. Yeah, really it doesn't good. sound good. I, well, was it, uh, what? Mm. Cream extract? Oh, so like just probably the vanilla. The cream yeah, yeah, I would say it's yeah. like um, the coffee flavor, but like yeah. more of a final coffee with your milk and sugar added. Yeah, I believe Vietnamese coffee has like... Uh, evaporated milk in it. It's like a really mm. thick or condensed milk. That really like thick lactose sweet milk. Mm. Never had one. Should probably drink one. I haven't That's had cream good. and sugar in my coffee in a year. Really? Yeah. I've, so yeah. I did that once. Uh-huh. Um, I it was part of a weight loss thing. Yep. Lost a lot of weight. Um, just milk and sugar is so good. Yeah, it's so good. And I was just like, you know what? I'm 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 I'm. I want to be a black coffee drinker. So much easier. I, I was like chugging like black coffee for a while. But, yeah. You know. Well, uh, yeah. I've, yeah. A year. It'll be a year today since I stopped doing it. Congratulations. Thanks. I guess better than the bullet coffee you were having. Oh, fuck that shit. <laughs> Sorry. Just, but that's, it was ugh. Butter, the bullet coffee, you just melt lard in it? Is that the... It's mostly lard. It's mostly <laughs> lard, but yeah, bacon fat. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think that's all the name of productivity. Look, I don't know much about science, but that sounds it sounds like fucking snake oil to me. If you ask me, mm. cream and I sugar, it's, t- it's tasty, but I wanted to enjoy coffee and I wanted it to be easier. I wanted to go to like go to a coffee shop, get a coffee and they're like, you want room for cream? No. Fill it to the brim. Fill it to the brim. I want my measure the meniscus. Yes. Um, anyway. That's not about beer. I am uh, I'm drinking a beer I haven't had in a very long time. It was um, I'm drinking Hell or High Watermelon from uh, 21st Amendment. Are you familiar? Yeah, yeah. That's like big over here. Yeah, especially so we, in the summer. Yeah, we just got it here. I mean, oh. I had it. I had it back in Jersey, 
but we haven't had 21st Amendment beers out in Colorado. We just started seeing them, so cheers. Cheers, man. Anyway, our catchphrase today comes in from one of our listeners, and it's from Scott Adams, the creator of the comic Dilbert. No way. <laughs> That's bullshit, right? <laughs> I would imagine that he didn't submit it, that maybe Stephanie self-submitted for him. Oh. But if he does listen, then he should just come on. Oh, so it's... so Okay, so <laughs> I, I read... Uh, our catchphrase came in today from one of our listeners... And it's Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert. He is a huge fan. <laughs> no, it's just, I think one of our listeners. It's from him. Yeah, one of our listeners sent in a quote from Scott Adams, who is the creator of the comic Dilbert. Interesting. Okay, today we are answering your questions. Everything from expecting parents wanting to set their kids up for success to someone who's expecting a $2 million inheritance. Wow. Yeah. So thanks to everyone who sent in, a, sent in a question. We love hearing from you. And let's dive in. Mm. Ready? Yes, yeah, sir. Let's do it. So for soon-to-be parents, how do you set up your kids for financial success? What steps would you recommend to new or soon-to-be parents who want to set their child up for the future so they can hit the ground running when they reach adulthood? So raising a rich kid. What, what what are you what are you thinking? Um. So one of my thoughts, and and so Laura and I were, were expecting, and so we've been well for a while, way, way before we were even expecting, thinking of stuff like this. Yeah. And I've I have we have like two rules, hmm. um, or really it's just one rule with two things. Okay, it's always two. Things. <laughs> it's always two. It's always two. Always two. It's because it's the peace sign. Oh, your hands that, that way. Yeah. Um, so college and education, or I'm yeah. sorry, just education in general and health. Uh, yeah. We want to cover. So if they get, you know, something happens to them physically, they need whatever, like obviously health is super important. You know, we're going to cover that. And mm -hmm. education, to the best of our ability, we want mm -hmm. to provide them with the best education possible that interests them. It's not like sending them into some, Send them to Harvard because we bought a library. Not that we could yeah. even afford half the books in, in a library. Or like pretending your kids are on the yacht team. And, yeah, uh, like yeah. all that stupid okay, shit. Right. It's just more like whatever they get into, like happy to support. They want to do, you know, whatever. You just but don't be, want your kids to have crushing student loan debt. Right. And But the, the, the catch is that everything else, like they're on the hook for. So, yep. you know, they need to pay for rent. Well, I don't know. Like you need to make money. Don't sure. have a job. I hear McDonald's is hiring. Right. You know? Right. And uh you're like, oh, you have a great business idea. That's awesome. I'm an entrepreneur. I love creating businesses. Good luck getting it started. Yeah, you only need a thousand dollars. I hear McDonald's is hiring. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so so like and kind of teaching them from the beginning that yeah, they have to earn their own way. Sure. Exactly. Sure. I think that's smart. But so in and so um I understand the college and health thing. The health thing, obviously, they're covered under your insurance until they're 26. So I don't necessarily, mm. like, how far do you want to go with the health thing? Yeah, so actually, that's probably yeah. even fine. So so it's yeah. mostly just at college. So they want to, so, uh, I mean, look, so what are you going to, what's your plan for college? At least that part. Let's just go there. 
we're going to heavily, heavily incentivize them to go. You know, really, yeah. really want them to go. Um, but uh, it's going to be up to them. And the thing that they major in is going to be up to them. Sure. But I'm saying, where are you getting the money for this? And is it? are you saving, like, as soon as they're born? Are you saving now? Are you putting mm. it in some sort of account? Are you just going to so, have the money when they're ready? <laughs> I, I, I see where you're going with this. And uh, we, we had talked about 529 plans, 529 plans. I want to say like last week or, or mm-hmm. recently, mm-hmm. and I was skeptical, but I think they're an awesome idea. And Lauren, I really have not taken good advantage of tax-like advantage accounts, so mm-hmm. I think we're going to do something like that. Okay. What about so- you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not thinking about kids at all, so mm. yeah, I, I I don't know. Is it I, a is it a never or a uh, super never? Here's oh man, this is a bad place to be right now because i feel like i'm gonna sound like a dick uh i'm not thinking about kids i don't give a fuck about saving for them and all that stuff i just want to make sure that they're taken care of uh obviously health wise obviously like support like love and support um but when it comes to money i don't know i i i was on my own all the time and i came out the way i came out and so i believe that that's uh how it's done and i think um you know, if they want to go to college, they should pay for that. Just my, Look, that's my that's my belief. I didn't go to college, and I get, but I also had to pay for the college that I didn't go to. So you want them to make the decision? Yes, and if they decide on their own that they want to go to college, then then they then they are ultimately making the decision to pay for that as well. And not to like sell the five two nine plan. It's it's a a great uh, incentive. But if you were to do something like that. Yep. And then didn't have kids or your kids wind up not going to school. Yes. It essentially becomes an IRA for you. Sure. Come retirement. So it's Yeah. So but 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 to the other part of the question, which is like how do you um set them up for habits or teach them while they're young so they can hit the ground running when they reach adulthood? I think that that like if there's any education that I'm willing to pay for, it's money education. Mm. And it's going to happen way before they ever hit college or even high school. And I will absolutely, uh, I don't believe in giving out allowances at this moment when I'm saying it now. I don't know how I'll <laughs> feel when I, when it happens, but like. What about when you, the lawn needs to get mowed? No, no, no. That's the thing. You, you get, you don't get an allowance. You, you get paid for yes, your labor. for work. And for work. I, I think the thing with the allowance, you have a certain responsibilities during the week. So it's sure, like, but you're not just going to get paid a flat fee for them. You're going to get paid for the value that you provide. And so I think that that's <laughs> – and we're talking about like before they can get a job, like before yeah. they're legally allowed to get a job. And uh, I had a job since I was 13, which I don't even, again, realize how I was legally allowed to have that. But I've, I've worked for forever. And I mowed, lawn, I mowed the lawn. I did stuff like that. And so I want to encourage um, the value of labor. And the value of getting paid for for providing you know some sort of value to to someone else um, or to society, and then I want to at the same time teach them how to make that money grow over time, which is basically like, you know, I know the schools are not going to do this. I know they're not going to listen to our podcast mm-hmm. in twenty years because you know it's going to be like, oh, that's Dad's podcast. I'm not listening <laughs> to Dad's podcast. Um, but I think just kind of like making it fun. I think that's part part of like. I always found that shit kind of fun, you know, like mm. being a like, dude, setting up a lemonade stand. 
is and the, the transaction of money as a it's that's fun. It is. Right? So I feel like there's a way to make you know this fun, and it doesn't actually have to involve real bank accounts. It can involve like kind of like play bank accounts where money is like interest is paid, and it might just be me, at, you know, and they're young and and sort of get them involved in like how to not be frugal, but how to like value a dollar. Yeah. And that's, and I think that that's really up to the parents to do at this point, because where the hell else are you going to learn that? You know, I agree. You you could do things like where maybe the allowance, the vast majority goes into like a betterment account. That's like where you're kind of, cause they're, they're under 18. Sure. So it's kind of tied to you. They can't spend it, but they could see it grow. Yep. You know, I also want to be. Uh, I think it, I think it'd be very interesting to set up sort of like an internal credit card system within the family, where you know, if they want to borrow money from dad, right, or from mom, you you borrow the money on interest, right? <laughs> and so they realize, like, you're like, hey, you realize that you're borrowing money from me, and you're going to put this on your card. I'm going to give you this money, but you have to pay me back X by this date, and if you don't. You're going to owe more. And it's like, I think that there's some fun in that. You know, I think that there's, and I'll, you could always educate. forgive it, but they will learn the pe- the penalties of. Right. And I think too, like just actually sitting down and working with, through, with them through the decisions of mm. how to use this asset that they have, which is. That's a really good idea. Yeah. And you don't make it like this great, you know, 2% interest rate. No. You make it, you know, more punitive. So they have to really weigh it out or or it becomes maybe an easy decision to not borrow. Yeah. And it's just working with them, you know, and, and, and then, and then obviously that hopefully that translates into the real world, real world when they get a credit card and they start to value a dollar bill Mm. and it's like, wow, multiple dollars gets you X and it's like just valuing. um, I don't know. I think there's just, again, I think it's up to the parents and that's sort of where I would go. And I'm not necessarily interesting interested in funding their decisions for them. You know, if they want to buy a car, they want a car, buy a car. You you would I hope you've worked for it. My mm. dad, thankfully, when I was a kid, gave me his car. So I had that. But I don't necessarily want to do that for my children. Maybe we won't even have cars by then and <laughs> everything will be autonomous. So who knows? But yep. I had to buy my car and I had to beg my parents. I had saved money. I was working. I had to beg them to let me use it to buy a car. Yeah. You're not old enough to kind of spend your money yes. if it's under a custodial thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just what I would do. I, I necessarily, um, there's other things too. Like I think what we, and again, we're not parents. You're not a parent yet. I have no plans on being a parent as of right now, but there's a lot of other things like you could obviously pay for college. Uh, there is, you know, life insurance. God forbid anything happens to you. We you talked know. about wills and trusts. And wills and trusts. Laura and I Day- literally talked about it this morning. You yeah, know? there's that. There's also daycare costs. Like that is something that you're going to have to think about. And they're not necessarily setting your kids up for financial success, but it's just as a parent, I think, a soon-to-be parent, something to think about, something to budget for mm. now. If you decide to go that route. So I hope that answers the question in some shape, way, shape or form. So thank you for that. Um, and, and we don't know who sent that in. So <laughs> thank you, whoever that is. 
Uh, okay, let's go on to question number two. How would you invest $5,000 if you were 18 years old? So my, my 18th birthday is in a couple of weeks, and I've got about $5,000 that I want to invest as soon as possible. Whoa. First of all, that's awesome that you even... Congrats that, yeah, you put yeah. that together. One, I'm glad you're listening to the show mm. at 18 years old. That's awesome. Super proactive. You didn't need your parents to uh, p- pretend to be a bank for you. By the time you get to our age, you're going to like literally be slaughtering it. Yeah. What advice would you give someone in a situation like my own so that I can put that money to its best use. I love the question. I just, yeah, I, oh my God. <laughs> if I had $5,000 at 18 years old and I put it away in an investment. I mean, at, like, at, could at, you at, even imagine? No, <laughs> I can't. Well, I'm trying, <laughs> but okay. Honestly, mm-hmm. what would I, what would you do? Well, I don't know. What would you do? So I would uh, start this mindset now Mm -hmm. of, you know, you're 18 and you should be taking risks Um, and you should also get into the habit of knowing that this money that you invest is basically going to never be touched again, ever. Like you should, you should come to terms with the fact that you're going to invest this money and it's almost like it's not yours. Yeah. And if you ever do need to use it, you know, and however long you're either doing it wrong or it's for something super awesome and planning for like a house or whatever. And so I would lump sum it into a betterment, a wealth front, some sort of robo advisor that is, you know, broad market uh, investments. Yeah. Um, and I would Vanguard. Just, Vanguard. Could do Vanguard too. We have some awesome articles on like how you can pick the funds in there, but I'll basically put it in there and think not of what is in there, but how you can add to that account. And if you just go from 18 to the day that you get your first job at a company after college, you will have grown that money significantly, possibly saved more. Uh, It's going to give you such a leg up. You just got to put it all in an investment and forget about it. The best return right now for that amount of money at your age would be to put it into like the total stock market account. Yeah. As an index fund. 7% on average returns. It's not going to disappear. There may be massive dips, massive spikes, but you're young. And so you will over time be able to harvest such returns. Yeah. And it's pretty low risk when you're, when, if you compare it to something like just buying an individual stock or starting a business with it or mm. investing in, real estate like all of those things are obviously you can make a lot more but you're but maybe too young to do some of those things but you said yeah. be risky right but i mean so starting your own business that you're almost guaranteed to lose your money yeah right so it's like it's almost like too too risky yeah you know? and it's like this or is at like, least I, when you're 18 yeah and, and and obviously like putting it in a savings account with a two percent return is just like a little too conservative yeah and so i think the the middle ground there is uh, yeah obviously something like a brokerage account whether it's through vanguard or through betterment or through wealthfront that's the way to go uh similar question what would you do personally do differently um if you were turning 18 if you were turning 18 again what would be the first thing you would do financially and how would you start your financial or start your journey to financial independence me yeah (laughs) who else 
Well, I don't know. I, th- I thought you might. <laughs> We're leave. the only two people on the show. <laughs> I'm just looking behind me, trying to see. You're like, who, who do you? Is talking? You talking? You talking to Abby? I think. Uh, I, I actually okay. So when I was 18, I really wasn't spending money, um, and you know, I was I was earning. I had had a job since I was 16. Yeah. And kind of like reflecting on my time as an 18-year-old, say, versus like a 20-some-odd-year-old is I was earning less money, but I had like literally no expenses. Like rent, paid yeah. for. Thank you, mom and dad. I lived in your house. You know, right. food, paid for. Thank you, yeah. mom and dad, for feeding me. And, yep. you know, on and on. And so I was literally able to save more. Like the, the average American family can't save. Don't, they don't have $400 to come up with. Right. Where as an 18-year-old, if you're working mostly full-time or you know with school, you could save more than that. So you could be saving faster than you potentially could when you're 20-something living on your own. So it's just getting in the habit of putting it away and not spending it. Let me tell you exactly what I would do differently. Mm. Um, I wish I didn't live where I lived. I wish I didn't have the friends that I had. Now, mm-hmm. I say that uh, lovingly because I think uh, you are heavily influenced by those surroundings and your friends, and that is just true. Right? For sure. So it's not like it's a fault of anyone's in that case. They but say you're like that, the average of the five people you spend your time with. Sure. So it's like if I go back, like, yes, if I, w- if I could go back in time with my, potent- with my current mindset as an 18-year-old, I would, one. You'd be independently wealthy right now. Yeah, well, yeah damn right. Because here's, here's the thing. I would devalue cars. Mm. I would devalue the shit out of them because I and all of my friends were just, we were really into like, like owning a car was like a thing and having a nice car was a thing. Right. We, and I had friends that were into like, you know, pimping out their cars and stuff. That wasn't me, but I definitely didn't want to have a shitty car. Now I don't give any shit about that personally, you know? And it took Mm. me a long, it took me like literally moving across the country and like, getting completely out of New Jersey to realize that like, this is really just not an important thing. Um, and not, not to say that cars aren't important. They are at least for my lifestyle. I just didn't need like luxury. I didn't need expensive. I just needed you know, something to get from point A to point B. Uh, so I agree. And, and there's just like this thing where when you're young, you want this like cool car, yeah. hopefully paid for by your parents, whatever. Cause I don't know. Girls will like it. If if only they knew, or maybe they do, and I just didn't know that they knew. But yeah. the guys or whomever driving that fancy car, pay for paid for by their parents, yeah. As compared to the one with that shitty car who bought it themselves, like the one who bought it themselves, like they're the winner. Well, so I would just I would just find a middle ground. I would be like I would get a very practical, safe, reliable, normal car that had a low expense. Like an right. Oldsmobile Cutlass or something. An, Oldmo- <laughs> an Oldsmobile Cutlass. I, I would, yeah, that's what I would do. Bench seats. And, and I would just, I would just, my mindset would be devaluing that. Also, I just spent money like water. Like I mm. just threw every, like going out, all the things, like whatever. I didn't take any of the money that I had and put it into any account besides a checking account, which immediately got spent. And so, I didn't start say I didn't start investing until I was like almost in starting this podcast. So not very long ago. Mm. And I would have been, 
I would have learned more about the stock market. Now, obviously, there was there wasn't things like robo advisors back in the day to make things easy, but I would have learned a little bit more about index funds and put my money there and just use that as a savings account. I just was bad. <laughs> and so I would just save more. That's what I would do. Mm. Save more and invest it in the total stock market. That's what I would do. Same same advice to the actual 18-year-old who has $5,000. So that's awesome. Um, all right, that's, that's two questions. Thank you very much. Uh, we are going to take a break. And then... Uh, we'll be answering more questions about what to do with that inheritance we talked about and when to hire a money professional. So stay mm. tuned. All right. Question. What would you do if you received a $2 million inheritance? I am 58 years old and I have very little debt. When my elderly mother passes, I will be splitting her estate with my brothers and it's currently valued at $7 million. I would love to develop passive income with my share. What would you do? So, um, first, I'd be curious. Uh, you know, if Chris has any other savings. What his setup is? If he's like retiring in a few years, because mm-hmm. um, perhaps like half of that, you know, should just be literally put aside and invested. You know, maybe even two thirds of that invested, whatever for his future. Um, he wants to know, uh, what he could do to create passive income and nothing like tickles me better because (laughs) I get really excited about that. And I think like an easy vein in terms of like not much effort rental properties and then a harder vein, wicked return, probably multiples of rental properties starting your own business harder. But the thing is, uh, for starting your own business, you know, you should maybe limit it to spending like $50,000. And that even seems excessive to starting something because money will not solve the business problem. Like you kind of have to be a little scrappy and figure out the business model and make it work. Yeah. With, with rental properties, um, you do need that money, but I would maybe just say deploy it very slowly because you're going to learn <laughs> things as you go along. Yeah. All right. Let me see if I can take a crack at this. Two million in cash, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Tax free. Um you want passive income. Okay, two things come to mind. One, you could invest all of it and take four percent. Right? Yeah. Um, that is passive income. It's not a ton, but it's definitely a lot. It's probably more it's, than enough. It's 80 grand a year. Yeah. Uh, so he could spend 80 grand a year, never reduce the amount of money that he has in the bank. Yeah. You know, I feel and like maybe use why, that 80 grand to invest or something. Totally. You know, in a business. If you're assuming you're still working or you're getting paid, I mean, uh, 58, I guess you have a uh, about 10 more, rough 10 more years before you're collecting full uh, Social Security. Mm-hmm. So you got ten years. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're you you throw that you throw that in a like a Vanguard fund. Again, we mentioned robo advisors or whatever. You're 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 you could safely safely take eighty grand a year from the from that investment, and that's assuming that's on top of your current income. Mm. 
Uh, okay, so that's what I would do, I think. Because then with that 80 grand, now it becomes, well, if that's extra right now, what else could you do with that 80 grand? Mm. And, and, you're, and this is the, the whole real estate thing, I think. Uh, real estate is obviously much easier to get into without any real business experience. And look, right? 80 grand a year could get you three to four solid properties a year. Well, let's let's take this. Let's take it really methodical here, mm-hmm. right? Let's assume you get a rental property and you have to put down eighty grand, right, on a down payment, right? Which would be it's roughly damn expensive rental property. Yeah, it's a that's expensive one, but it's, I don't know where this person lives, so it could be if they want to be close to their home um, and and manage the property themselves, which would not be very passive. Mm-hmm. If you think about it that way. Uh, or if they want to do what you did where the, the home is nowhere near where you live and you have a property management company and it's kind of semi-passive, meaning like you still have to answer emails and make decisions and, and deal with money and stuff. So I, in that I think case, in that case, though, like you you focus your effort on like evaluating new deals and building forward sure. instead of spending your time and effort maintaining what you decided on. Totally. But to the to the point, that is not passive income. Right. If we're being 100%. Honest, like what what is passive income is the investing in an index fund and taking four percent. That mm-hmm. is like the most the most passive, uh, or or at least more passive than uh, real estate. But let's say you want to get into real estate because um, I think one, it's way more relatable and accessible to people who don't like have a business idea. You might not have if you don't have. I'm assuming in this case you don't have a business idea, and perhaps the skills that you have ad- that you've adapted over. 58 years on this earth are not in the business entrepreneurial space. Like I'm just kind of assuming that mm-hmm. and that could be completely wrong. And obviously like this advice is based on the information that I have. And so therefore real estate investing seems to be like the biggest could be the biggest bang for your buck on top of the 4%, you know, returns yeah. on your 2 million. Right. So it's like, wow, I'll get my 2% return. I'll get my 4% return and invest in real estate and get my whatever returns I get on that, mm. right? That's the way that I would do it. And I would use the 80000 for your down payment. I would get a 30-year fixed, and I would just look for positive cash flow and try to like, yeah, that's what I would do. Just go for the deals that yeah are, are only cash flow focused. Yeah. Um, and that's, that, that'd be passive income there. You got a thirty-year mortgage. Uh, you're, that's being paid by the by the tenants, and you only had to put down a, a little bit of your of your of not even in your not even your inheritance. You're only putting down what your returns are in the stock market. Mm. Only four percent of those returns. That's what I would do. What do you think? about And then that? you have it all invested. I, th- I think that's a good idea. I, I think at least half in the most risky portion needs to just be invested because uh it would be crazy to put all of that money at risk even on rental properties yeah uh given that he probably hasn't done much stuff there and so well think about this too like you could you could essentially put all of it in in a vanguard fund right mm-hmm. collect your 80 grand even if you put half of it in and you just kept you know a million in a two percent savings account or whatever um you took 40 percent you wait two years. Now you have eighty thousand saved. Use that money, and you and you down payments on smaller income 
or smaller houses or wherever you live or wherever you want to, you know, wherever you find the deals, you can use something like investable. Yeah. Investable.co to do that research. It's not going to cost you that much money. We built a financial model essentially to show you what will be profitable. Yep. And that is, you could spend the rest of your life doing that really. Mm -hmm. And that would be kind of like the best. I think the thing is like, so Laura and I have bought properties where on average, the amount of money we have to put in is about $20,000. And so yeah. with $2 million, you could buy a hun- like 100 rental properties. <laughs> sure. You know, but I think like you got to go really slow in the beginning. Yeah. And understand. Well, well I want to, what I'm thinking is protect his initial investment. Yeah. Protect that inheritance. Right? Just just like right off the bat, protect it as best. So maybe, yeah, it all goes invested. And then it takes years to kind of play out and invest in a hundred properties. But then you may even have more money than you started with because you had it invested. Right. So it's just it's passive income all the way, like from day one. Yeah. That's that's how I'm looking at it. So I'd agree. And I would even just say, yeah, turnkey. Don't try to add any value. Don't be there to unclog the toilet. Yeah, if you could. All right. Got one more question. Mm. It's about hiring a professional advisor. Go right? on. <laughs> but when should you go from ha- handling your own personal investing to handing it over to a professional advisor? All right. So so I have like all yeah, the axes to grind. I know. <laughs> um, and I know you're not a travel kind of guy. Nope. Uh, but but I always I always think of as an example of like an old economy type thing. And not like they're completely gone, but but travel agents. So yeah. back in the day, you really only booked trips through travel agents. You, right. it, it like wasn't possible. They're like online didn't exist. Yeah. And it was just insanely difficult to figure it out otherwise. You'd have to collect, I don't know, a million pamphlets and like right. figure out what's going on. And then and the reason that was a thing is because there was like this information asymmetry. The real estate agents had all the information, knew all the deals. And so as a result, and the travel agents, you the mean, travel agents, yes. so yep. you had to, you had to go through them. Same though. Same, same difference, right? It's like real estate agents. They had all the information to buy houses. Travel agents had all the information to buy plane tickets and trips. Exactly. And so you yeah. paid far more than you probably should have paid because they're getting kickbacks and kick whatever. Backs. Yep. Um, but you got to travel. All right. And I already know where you're going. So um, if we were talking about somebody that would help you budget and kind of like a uh, a loose advisor, you're probably going to wind up paying a monthly fee. Yes. But an investment advisor specifically, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what the question is about, mm-hmm. uh, they typically charge you a percentage of assets managed. So for yeah. example, maybe it's 1%. It's going to be almost certainly higher, but if sure. you have... You know, a thousand dollars—that's ten dollars a year. But if you mm-hmm. have a million dollars, it's significantly more. But the value they're providing is not really that much better, and and maybe even dubious. It's that yes. whole information asymmetry where before maybe they were able to do better than you, but now you could probably do better than them with something as simple as better, or just the internet. Just yeah, th- with the information at hand. Here's the deal. No one is going to handle your money better than you. Mm. No one's going to give a shit about you more than you. And statistically, almost no one who actively manages their money does better than the average. So No. And I understand we are, I'm all about delegation, 
Mm. You know, I, in my business, I delegate as many tasks as I can to other people. If you're not good so, at it, you shouldn't do it. Yep. But those tasks are not really money-based. When it comes to accounting, I have an accountant, but he's mo- mostly just an advisor, meaning like he doesn't handle it. He just, I just get to call him and talk to him. You need like, to understand like a, your numbers. Yeah. It's like having a financial therapist. Yeah. Right. He's just there in case I need him for, for, for a reason. I do all my own books. Mm. I categorize all my expenses. I just, I just do it because even if I'm making millions and millions and millions of dollars, I want to know where every friggin' dollar is going and what, where it's coming in from. And I understand that that could be overwhelming to a certain extent. You can have help in that. Obviously, if you're running a business or you're like that rich that you need somebody like that, but they should never be in charge of it or, or take a percentage of it. Yeah. You should pay them a salary as an employee to do that for you, but not get any cut, you know, cutbacks on whatever. So basically, uh, only if it's a fixed fee. And then and if you have a way too much money and you're like, I can't, I literally don't have time. Like I'm spending eight hours a day managing just my portfolios, which I don't know who the fuck you are, but like, give me a call. Um, I then at that point, yeah, you hire a in-house accountant. You don't hire an advisor. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if your net worth is less than like one or two million dollars, there, yeah. like, there's no way that I think that this yeah. makes sense for you. Also, like, and you're right. You know, one, you're listening to the show because you clearly asked asked the question. So you already have a leg up. So yeah, you're already doing the work to understand it, and so that's exactly what financial advisors do mm. is they're just they're just they just have the knowledge right travel agents have the information and there's no you don't need a middleman anymore it's kind of antiquated yeah and so take 30 minutes save yourself 10,000 a year yeah <laughs> and you know what? that's the thing like i understand like whatever you want to kind of be hands off you know somebody smarter than you Maybe you're not interested in money or learning about it. And here's the thing I would say to that. Fine. Because I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I understand the irony of me running a personal finance show and how I'm not that interested in the nuance or the depth of how deep like the knowledge that I could have goes into money. But I think I love that because I know what I am interested in and I will take it as far as I'm interested. Mm. But at the end of the day, like I'm just trying to simplify my expenses, simplify my financial control. And the more that I simplify it, the less interference I need. And we also spend uh, a a ton of time making sure that it's automated so that um, the decisions that you may think need to happen by a, a investing advisor is done automatically because you made the decision one time and then it's executed every month. And so whether it's how your money gets invested, you know, from your paycheck to like being deposited to the account or where that investment gets invested into, um, you put a minimal amount of time automated and you're, you're done. Let me ask you this question. Mm -hmm. Do you think that at a certain, like if you are a person and you have, you know, say, whatever percent of, of your money, let's say it's 20% of your income, 
mm-hmm. is going into a you have you have set money set aside for your retirement, which is either through a 401k or an IRA or both. Right. You have money in some sort of brokerage account where you're investing in the total stock market. You're earning a 7% return on average. You have 20%, perhaps 30% of your income going towards that. Like at that point, you are a million steps ahead of everyone else. For, like right? for sure. And for your sure. rate of growth is probably nominal. S- well, I'm sorry. Well, my point was no, I'm saying it's insane, but mm. it's insane. But I, I guess what I was, I was saying was, do you think like, Okay, you're that far ahead of the game. Uh-huh. You hire a professional advisor because you're like, well, what can they do for me? That's that that increase is going to be nominal. Basically, the more money you put into your like three systems, which are fucking easy as shit, is going to be actually it's going to pay off way more. That's than- such a good point. It's you adding hundreds of dollars a month. So maybe it's like you increase your deposits by two hundred dollars will yield yeah. you more. At the point that you have all your systems set up, then bringing some someone person, on, right? You know, like, first I, of all, I found the secret. The, the, this the, no, this one account can get you an extra 05 percent. You're like, dude, I've oh, dedicated man, my past five years to finding those secrets, and they don't exist. Right. So one, they're going to really not improve much at all what you have set up, and two, their fee is going to be such a drag on your actual growth. You will probably wind up. From like just a numbers perspective, doing worse. Yeah. You could literally spend one year of very little time reading a handful of books, listening to a handful of podcast episodes, Mm. and reading a couple of blogs, maybe watching some YouTube videos, like a whole year. And that year of of free information. And then and then even if you started investing the year after, like you did no investing during that research phase would cost so much less money than bringing on a financial advisor for the rest of your existence. Yeah. Saving you money and improving the growth of what you already have. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, the name of the game is just like returns and more money to get more returns. That's really it in a hands-off fashion because uh, the, the winners aren't the ones who are moving things the most or constantly thinking about it. You I know. mean, he, look at Warren Buffett. He's like, he he does his research on a single company, mm. adds money to it, and then basically doesn't think about it for forever. But, and then he's but he is also someone whose business is literally finding and picking investments. Sure. Someone like me or you who have done incredibly well, like I honestly spend very little time on where the money is flowing to because it's already automated. It's happening. Yeah. And that's not where I'm going to add much value. It's the yeah, businesses job, that we're building. No, no, no. But, and, and yes, for sure. But my, but my time is just like, well, how can I put more money into those three mm. or four systems that I took me two minutes to set up Yeah, in, in 2019? You know, and it's like, the, the shit's so easy anymore. And it's like, okay, well, now I don't need to find the secret fund or the secret stock that's going to make me all this money it's like no i just need to put more money into those things so like th- there's other a financial advisor is not going to find money for you to put into those things yeah and you, you know, know what, what? I mean? if you're so concerned that like you want to improve upon betterment or you want to just diy google best vanguard funds you're almost certainly going to find listen money matters sure. we'll show you the things you invest in and you paid nothing for it because yeah. it should be free it is free there you go well, I'm sorry to all financial advisors out there who are listening to the show. 
it, it, but to separate it, we're talking specifically about fee based, like percentage fee based. Yes. Yeah. Assets under management. If you charge fifty dollars a month to help people budget and not Hell fight yeah. amongst the couple, like great. I think that is useful. Totally. Hundred percent. So that's it. If you missed anything in this show, we'll have everything in the show notes. Don't you worry. Either check your preferred podcast app or visit listenmoneymatters.com slash show. Please subscribe wherever you normally listen to podcasts and tell your friends about us. Point them to your favorite episodes and, um, you know, hopefully they'll become a subscriber. And if you have any questions, please email us. Listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. Any and all questions about personal finance. You know what? It doesn't have to be about personal finance. Life. Yeah. Boating. Beer. What's my favorite movie? Mystery Science Theater 3000 the movie. That's my favorite. <laughs> See? Any question, we will answer on the show. And all the tools and resources that we normally mention on the show, which we mentioned a few, Wealthfront, Betterment, Vanguard, they're all available at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. All right, that's it. Later, Andrew. Later, dude. Please tell your friends about this show. (laughs) 